0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. How many of you guys just do not like to read the instructions, right? Yeah, it's a guy thing, mainly it's a guy thing. I don't know what it is, it's a missing gene, I think, something. Directions are are for people who want to get it right the first time. Directions are people who don't know the joy of reassembling. Directions are for people who are way too busy to start over. So that's me. I have a tendency to do things without reading the directions. Um, You know, it's that whole attitude. "I, I got this. I can do this. I know it's frustrating when you buy something and you take it home to assemble it and there are parts missing. That's frustrating, right? You have to call and um, there's usually instructions for what you're supposed to do if there are missing parts. Well, if you would just give me the missing parts, I wouldn't need these instructions. Um, you know, you get that whole thing going on. But the, 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 what really is is unnerving for me is when I'm trying to put something together, and I love putting things together. <clears throat> like I used to work at a department store when I was a kid, and when all the new bikes came in for the spring, that was my job. I love that job. I love putting things together. I love to assemble things When Parlee used to get shelves and stuff at her house she needed to have assembled, I told her, I'm your guy. I'll come do all that stuff for you. And I I mean, I'm not the world's foremost expert with tools in my hand, but I'm not bad. I mean, I can do a little bit of stuff. I'm not totally uh, helpless. But sometimes I get involved in something. I always get a little nervous when I'm working on something. I get it all assembled. It looks great. But I'm standing there holding this great big carriage bolt in my hand that's left over, you know, and it's pretty long and it's pretty thick. It feels pretty substantial. I know it goes somewhere and I'm thinking, you know, that the scary part is what have, where have I missed this and what's going to happen if it's not in that? And You know, it shouldn't be in my hand, it should be in that. So, you know, like fixing a gas grill, assembling a gas grill, if that's a, an adventure, all right, there's all kinds of parts in there, and you, you better have them all in the right place. Some of you, I doubt if you built a gas grill, we would want to hook gas up to it, but um, you know, we've all had an experience of assembling something, putting something together, and, and you know, that's okay if it's a gas grill, it's okay if it's a Barbie house, it's okay if it's uh, like a racetrack or something where you, you, you do it not exactly right and you have to go back and redo it again. That's one thing but it's not okay if it's your life. So, so the title of the message and the title of this whole series is Starting Over. And the subtitle is How to Ensure Next Time Won't Be Like Last Time. So if you're starting over in a relationship or if you've just gotten out of a marriage or if you're going to get remarried, you maybe you just lost your job, maybe you just flunked out of school and hope to go back someday, these can all be start overs. These are uh, you know, maybe they're your fault, maybe they're not your fault. Usually it's not our fault, right? Or at least that's what we tell everybody. Well, it's their fault, it's not my fault. And if it is my fault, it's just my fault a little bit, it's mostly their fault. I mean, that's kind of how we talk about that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's partly our fault and partly their fault, but mostly their fault. And, and, and these are the start-overs areas of our life. And, and, you know, you got bumped out of that job, you flunked out, the teacher didn't do it right. That's the problem, she didn't do it right. Um, the relationship didn't work out and you're having to start over, this series is for you. As a pastor, I I have a front row seat to watching people start over in lots and lots of things. I myself have had to start over in lots and lots of things, and I hate to see the mistakes that we make. And of course, it's always easier to watch somebody else and and know what they should do, right? It's always easier to look at their world and go, well, you know, what they need to do right here is this. And you're probably right. Problem is, when it's your life, you don't see that. When it's your life, Somehow you, you become deaf to your own voice or your own wisdom or whatever, and, and you know, we just tend to make mistakes that we would advise other people not to make, but for us somehow it's different. But when you're a pastor, you see so much that you just want to call a big time out and say, can we just stop and go over the basics here? And if, you, if you'll just do some basic things, this will go better. Trust me. We learn from our mistakes, it seems, in the areas that matter the least you know, games, board games. You make a mistake in a board game and it costs you another lap around the track and you're like, I'll never make that mistake again. And you make a note and you never make that mistake again. Sports, you know, your coach tells you how to do something and you've been doing it wrong. And then one day you just get so frustrated and the coach comes and says, you know, what'll fix that is if you do this. And then from then on you do that. And every time now, you you get it. And so, you know, you've learned your lesson. Hobbies, the way we put toys together, you think to yourself, you know what, it cost me 30 minutes last time I did that for my son. Next time I assemble that thing, I'm going to remember that that piece has to go in there and save myself about 25 minutes, because that thing should be able to be built in about five minutes. And there are certain mistakes that you only make one time, and you've learned your lesson. And then there are areas that matter, they're the areas that seem to matter the least to us. But We repeat our mistakes in the areas that matter the most. In the area of finances, relationships, stuff with our kids, stuff at school, work. And after we repeat the same mistake a few times and suffer the same consequences, we ask ourselves the all-important question, when will I ever learn? I mean, when am I gonna learn? Now that's an important question And the reason it's so important is because of one word in that sentence, and it would be the third word in that sentence, I. Because the common denominator in all of your mistakes is you. Wherever you go, there you are. And in your greatest regrets, there you are. And for some reason, you don't simply learn in the areas that matter the most as you do in the areas that matter the least. I've lost track of the number of times I've given advice to somebody only to watch them go and not do what I told them that they should do and they go do something else. Now, when it comes to counseling, I try to make it a point not to give a lot of advice. Counseling should not contain a lot of advice. Counseling leads you to your own conclusion, right? Good counseling helps you to evaluate things and to get to know you and, and based on, you know, how I've responded in the past and who's hurt me and who's loved me and how that has it affected me, you know. Good counseling leads you to your own conclusion. But fr- sometimes as a friend, someone has come and said, Brett, I just I want to know if this was you, what would you do? Or I want to know you, know, you know me, Brett. What do you think I should do? And I, one person in particular I'm thinking of years ago that I was friends with, they were going through a really hard thing, and, and I was trying to help them, and we were talking a lot, and I was like, okay, here's my advice for you. They would go and do the exact opposite. And, and it's not that I'm some genius. I mean, you would have seen it and probably told them the same thing. But, but this person would leave my presence, go do the exact opposite, and it just got worse. And it just kept getting worse and kept getting worse. And after a while, it's just like, you know, they would come and say, Brett, what, what do you think I should do? Stop, okay, stop. I'm not telling you what to do anymore. Why are you even, I mean, if you want me to be your friend, that's fine. But just stop asking me that question because you're not listening. And it gets frustrating. And I've watched people make unnecessary bad mistakes and unnecessary bad decisions. And here's the thing. Life has enough unavoidable pain, right? I mean, you can obey all the traffic signs and do all that. You can obey the stop signs and all that stuff, and still somebody may T-bone you. Even when you do it all right, somebody else may not do it all right, and things can still go wrong sometimes. So why in the world would we add more pain to an otherwise somewhat painful existence already? Why in the world would we do these things to ourselves? But we do. So when you watch people do things to themselves with unnecessary bad decisions, financial decisions, relationally, professionally, academically, it can just break your heart because you think to yourself, you know, that one could have been avoided. It didn't have to be that way. So as we start talking about starting over in the next three lessons, I'm going to give you three things that that you absolutely have to do if you want next time to be better than last time. But before we get there today, I want to I briefly explore three myths. And as soon as I put these up, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I see that, I see that. I mean, this stuff is not rocket science. Sometimes we just need somebody to surface for us the assumptions that we are operating from. And here are three assumptions that we subconsciously make When we are starting over, and as I talk about these, you're going to, I'm going to put these up and, you know, part of the experience we're going to have together this morning is we're going to go, well, duh, yeah. I mean, of course that may, I mean, I had to get up, put on clothes and come to church to hear this. I mean, I knew that. Well, we know it, but as you're going to see this morning, we don't always do much with it. Listen to me, if you're, if you're not aware of the assumptions that you make, you will continue to make those assumptions. And they will continue to drive your decisions. So I'm just going to talk about these assumptions and then I'm going I'm to give you one verse of Scripture today. Not a lot of Scripture this morning. If you're somebody that really likes a heavy dose of the Bible, um, we'll, we'll look at it a little. But next week and the weeks after will really be your weeks. Today we're just kind of setting some things up. So let's look at these three myths real quickly that drive people into bad decisions. Myth number one the experience myth. The experience myth. Experience makes me wiser. In other words, here's what we think Well, in light of what I've just gone through, I'm wiser for it. Let me just tell you experience does not make you wiser, it makes you older. It makes you tired, makes you poorer, and madder, and lonelier, but experience alone does not make you wiser. And the reason that this is such a big deal is that people say stuff like, okay, I'm ready to go. I know what to do now. I've been through that once. I got it all figured out. Let's go. Mount up. Let's go. Because I've had this bad experience, and now I know experience alone does not make you wiser. Here's the key evaluated experience makes you wiser so in the weeks to come i'm going to give you some tools that will help you to evaluate your experience and again nobody is in here right now going oh my goodness that never crossed my mind no you know this you know this is true just by watching other people because you've watched other people before make the same mistakes over and over and they learned nothing So experience doesn't guarantee anything except that you possibly wasted some time, but evaluated experience, now that's a game changer. That can make a difference in your world. The other myth is is this. It's called the know better myth. Since I know better, I'll do better. Here's what I'm getting at. People assume that because they know the right thing to do, they'll just do the right thing. You really think that's true? I mean, based on your experience and based on the people you've watched, do you really think that's true? Now that we know the difference or the right and the wrong, now that we know better, we'll do better. But know better does not equal do better. Remember back when you were a kid and your parents would tell you what was right and make sure you don't do and make sure you do this, that, and the other and you'd go, I know, I know, I know on the way out the door to do whatever it was you were going to do the way you were going to do it and that's just mom and that she doesn't know and they kept repeating themselves over and over because they knew that nothing doesn't always know that knowing doesn't always equal doing but worse than that no better does not equal the ability to do better and here's the why this is really important when you start thinking this over and you and you're going to you're, you're going to start over you think well now that I've had this experience I'm wiser now that I know better I'm sure I'll do better There is no guarantee. Because in many cases, knowing better doesn't equal the ability or the power or the self-control to do better. So simply knowing better doesn't mean that you're going to do better next time around, unless you evaluate your experience and unless you make some personal changes. See, that's the key. This is why for many of you, your last bad relationship has led to your current bad relationship is going to lead to your next bad relationship. Because you know better, But it doesn't necessarily translate to doing better. And you keep thinking, "Well, what's wrong with all those people that I'm dating?" A couple of things. You picked them. You're a bad picker. Bad picker. Okay. Or they picked you, and you're a bad say noer. Is what you are. You're just you're not good at it. And you've learned and you've had experience and you know better and I know better and I know better and your friends are looking at you and saying, okay, you say you know better. Why are you going out with him? Well, we're just friends. No, that's what you said about the last, you don't even know this guy. This is important. Knowing better doesn't mean you'll do better. Knowing better doesn't mean that you have the strength or the power or the self-control to do better. They are completely different things. And in order to make sure that the next time is better than last time, you have to know and you have to ask yourself the question, okay, now that I know better, what must I do next time before it is actually better? Third myth is this. It's the time myth, and this is the toughest one. Time is against me. That's what we think. Time's working against me. The clock's ticking. I'm not getting any younger, you know. The opportunities are coming and going. You know, we hear this, all the other people my age, all the other people my age, well, all my friends, you know, all my friends, and we think the clock's ticking, I need to get with it. Time's a-wasting. I've learned my lesson. I know better. I've had a bad experience. I'm ready to jump back in there and get with it. And I'll never go there again, and i got to get ready because the clock is ticking. The time is my enemy absolutely false. False. In fact, of all the myths, this is probably the most destructive one. The time is not your friend myth, because time is your friend. Time really is your friend. See, we feel the clock. We feel it ticking. We see the hourglass, you know, the the sand slipping away. Time's your friend. And, And this is true every time and in every area of starting over. See, you're all of us in here in some portion of life, we're starting over somewhere. And Here's why. Because when, when you've gone through something difficult because of a decision that you've made or sometimes because somebody else made a decision, the truth is you're a little bit out of balance. And the same way that when you're walking or running and you're, you get out of balance, what you need to do is stop, get your feet under you, and then start moving again. You ever walked with somebody that was not good on their feet and they, they don't have really good balance anyway? And they just get in a hurry and you want to look, you, you grab them and you say, stop. Let's stop. Now get your feet under you. Now let's walk. We got to do that in our life. See, emotions are like temperature. They go up and they come down. The problem is emotions go up quickly, but they don't come down as quickly as they went up. Right? That's part of the problem. And you're carrying a little bit of anger and a little bit of resentment and a little bit of jealousy that you don't know about. And consequently, you are a little bit off balance, and your emotions are a little high. Or some people would say, no, your emotions are way high. And you're, you're still dealing with a little bit of pain. And, and see, when our physical temperature goes up, it signals to us something's wrong. What, what happens is when you're sick, you go to a doctor, and one of the first things they do, they used to stick a thermometer in your mouth. They don't do that anymore. Now they got this thing they wipe across your forehead. I still have not figured out how that thing works. That amazes me when they do that. But what they're doing is they're trying to figure out, are they telling me the truth? Is there really, are they sick or are they a hypochondriac? Because if they're really sick, probably they're going to have a temperature. Because when, you when your body's not right, your temperature goes up to say, hey, something's wrong. We've got to fix this. When your emotional temperature goes up, it signals that there's something wrong in your spirit. There's something wrong on the inside. And here's the thing. When you're in physical pain, you become self-absorbed. And when you're in emotional pain, you become self-absorbed. That's just, it's not your fault. That is the nature of pain. That's what happens when we're in pain. We just, we kind of close ranks and all we can see is two feet in front of us and it has to do with us. We don't see anything else. It's just, it's all about us. If you suffer from migraines, you understand what I'm talking about. I someone in my world that doesn't my daughter has migraine headaches and so I don't I've never struggled with that. I've known some people who have and I, all I know is that when they when that comes on it's like the world has to stop for them because it's so bad. I mean people that have that, you know, they would say to you, you know, I love you, but don't ask me to think about anything. Don't ask me any questions. You know, don't talk to me. Why? It's it's not that they don't love you. It's not that they don't care. It's just that when you're in pain, you become self-absorbed, and it's the nature of pain. You can't help that. That's true of all physical pain. Emotional pain is the very same. We we just aren't as aware of it. People in emotional pain become very self-absorbed, and I'll tell you where you've seen this. If if you've ever had a friend that was going through some tough things, and every conversation you had with them, it seemed like that's what you ended up talking about, right? Right? You ever had a friend that was going through something really big in their life, and every time you were around them, you didn't talk about any of your stuff. What did you talk about? You talked about that. To the point that you get where you go, I don't want to be with them tonight, because they're just going to talk about that again. I'm just so tired of talking about that. Some of you are in small group, and you you may have had this experience where somebody in your small group is going through something really hard, and for a season, they're coming to small group, and that's all that you talk about, right? Because that's all they want to talk about. And they're self-absorbed and they don't even know it and they don't realize that half the time they're dominating the whole small group. And they would say, you know, I just love my small group. I just got so much out of this tonight. And you're thinking, well, of course you talk the entire time. God bless you. I mean, it's great, but. See, we need people who will enter our pain and walk walk through it with us and let us tell our story. That's part of what we need. And sometimes we need, we need somebody to walk with us while we tell our story over and over and over again, because that's just, that's what we do. Now, that's just life, and that's, that's a part of the healing process, but self-absorbed people make self-absorbed decisions. You got to know that. They just do. You, you do. I do. We can't help it. So consequently, jumping into what's next before you've allowed the temperature to come down is a very dangerous thing. And here's the flip side of that when you're healthy, you have clarity. When things are good, you're, you, you see better. I wish I'd made the, the uh, little chart that I use when I'm doing counseling with people. Imagine a wavelength kind of thing. I tell people all the time um, really smart people don't make decisions in valleys because in a valley, you don't have very much vision, you can't see very far really smart people make their decisions at peaks where the, where the vision is better. And what happens when you make decisions in, in, in the tops at the peak is you're able to skip over valleys a lot of times. When things are good, your decisions are better. Just, that's just the way it is. And when you have clarity, you, you, everything's better. When you have clarity, you're going to do great. But when you don't have clarity, you have no business making decisions. But that takes time. It takes time to get clarity. And if you wait long enough, you will be able to hear things later that you can't hear now. There are some things that you need to hear, you can't hear them, and it's not your fault. It's just that you're not ready to hear them. But there are things that you need to hear before you move on to whatever is next. And not only are they things that you need to hear, but later on, maybe a year later, two years later, there will be some people that you are able to listen to that you can't hear from right now. Like they're trying to talk into your world, but you don't hear it. You're just not ready because there's just, it's not time. There's got to be, you've got to give it time so that you can hear the right people. And sometimes, you know, temperature's up so high, it's like I don't hear anything from anybody. We've got to wait sometimes, let the temperature come down. And as that happens, a year, two, you know, six months, whatever, somebody's able to speak some truth into our life and we go, ah. Oh, That makes such sense. Why didn't I think of that? Time is your friend. But it feels like your enemy. Now, again, you hear that and you think, and I know I'd be thinking the same thing if I were you. Brett, for everybody else, I'm sure that's true, but I could get up there and I could tell you my story and you would say, everybody, if Brett, if I could just tell my story, everybody would say, oh, you're right. You need to jump in right now. You need to go. Time is wasting can't can't let that happen you got to move no time is your friend and the reason people rush is because they're convinced personally that their situation is different and i hate to tell you this because this might hurt your feelings this morning okay but i'm going to tell you this your circumstances may be unique but you are not If i've learned anything in counseling it is this everybody thinks their situation is unique and if you've talked to as many people as I've talked to in counseling situations and heard the things that I've heard and heard them the exact same way, use the exact same words time and time again. In fact, there are times when someone is sitting across from me and they're talking to me and I'm sitting there and I'm listening. I'm trying to be very intent and give them my full attention and I can tell what they're going to say next. Do you know how I know that? Because I've heard that a hundred times before. And they think, Brett, nobody's ever... It's just, it's, I, I, no one could ever know what I'm going through. And I'm like, trust me, hundreds of people know what you've gone through. Because they've described it to me the exact same way. But it feels different for you. Your challenges may seem unique, but you are not unique. And after you hear enough stories, you will realize that not, not even your challenges or even your circumstances are really all that unique. It's just your version of the story that's been lived out time and time and time again, Uh, but it seems different because you're in the middle of it and it seems different because you're experiencing it and it's emotional and it can it's a pain and you feel absorbed by it and you, you you just don't even know that you're 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 not in a good position to make any other big decisions and God loves you and we love you and your community group loves you and your parents are trying to love you and Your brother's thinking, oh, man, she's calling again. I'm just going to hit the silence button because I cannot even listen to that again. Because I know what she's going to want to talk about. And that's life. But I'm just telling you, before you jump in and move ahead, if you want next time to be better than last time, you need to wait. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you start thinking through the biblical characters and you come across some who had a first time and a second time, there, there's a bunch of them. Just about every single person that God uses in a significant way in the Old Testament or the New Testament, almost every single one of them had a first time, a failure, and then a second time. Probably the most famous was Moses. Uh, Moses was raised in the household of Pharaoh. He realizes he is not an Egyptian, he walks like an Egyptian, he talks like an Egyptian. But he's not an Egyptian, he's a Hebrew, and, and he, he, he decides, hey, we need to do something about this Hebrew slavery thing. So he kills a guy, and he has to leave the country, and eventually, eventually he comes back for a second time around, and the second time he comes around, he's the savior of Israel. But there was a first time before there was a second time. King David, same thing. He's anointed to be the king of Israel. He goes to live with Saul, who's the guy that he's eventually going to replace, which had to be awkward. He's living in the palace. He has it all going his way. Saul gets jealous, kicks him out. There's a passing of time. David comes back, and eventually David is the king. Come to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we meet probably the best example, and that's Paul. Paul was a the best religious person of his time and if you know anything about cross lane you know that when we call you religious that's not a good thing okay we don't like religious people around here i don't don't call me religious i don't want to be that right religious to us is pharisaic and so when i say paul was a great religious person paul might have been one of the best pharisees of his day he was a good rule keeper he was a zealous guy. He's a fantastic Pharisee, completely had devoted his life to God, had never gotten married, devoted you know, every just so he could give it all to God. And he decides that he's going to defend God and his honor by getting rid of these silly Christians. He hated them. That was the first round. God knocks him off his mule. He disappears for a while, and then he reappears, and he becomes the Paul that we know who changed the world, really. Those kinds of stories go on and on, and here's the part of the story that you and I hate. Every single instance, in every single instance in the Old and New Testament, where there is a first round and a second round, there is usually an interval of time, and it's usually defined in years. In Moses' case, it was 40 years before round two shows up. That's encouraging, isn't it? 40 years. You're sitting there thinking, come on, Brett, man, 40 years? Come on. For David, they aren't sure. Somewhere between 8 and 12 years for David, between the time he gets kicked out and the time he shows up. For Paul, in one instance, it references 14 years before he shows up to be the man who would plant churches all over the Mediterranean rim. But here's the interesting thing. Not only was there this gap of time, two things emerged in these people's lives that I would like to see happen in your life and mine as we take a pause between the first go around and the second go around. Two things they they come back to these two things, a divine sense of destiny and an abiding sense of humility. A divine sense of destiny When they show back up, it's like God is up to something, and I want to be a part of what it is that God is up to. It's going to be big, and I want to be there. An abiding sense of humility. No matter what God does through me, I'm not going to get all proud and arrogant about it. And here's what you see as you watch people navigate first time, second time well. I mean, there's some people that do that. They they have a first time, it doesn't go great. They get a second time and they navigate that much better okay there's that person and then there's the person who has first time second time third time eighth time ninth time 10th time right i've got people in my world that i'm watching right now do six times seven time eighth time and they're doing it poorly and you want to say would you just stop and evaluate and listen to yourself and look at your past and the mistakes that you've made, and just, just stop. But that's, but you hear him say, time's wasting, you know, I, I'm ready to go, I gotta jump in, I've learned my lesson, I know better, I'm sure I'll do better. Here's what you see. There's always more time in between than anybody's really more com- very comfortable with. I mean, it's always, it's always hard to, to do that time in between. Because we think, no, you know, I know what I'm doing, I can do this, but when we get this right, we emerge with this sense of destiny and humility. And and people come out on the other side and they say things like, God's up to something in my life. God has a purpose for my life. They even say things like, you know what? I wouldn't trade anything for the lessons that I learned in round one. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I've got stuff in my life like that, stuff I've learned, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. The stuff I went through was horrible, awful. But I tell you what, I wouldn't trade the lessons I've learned. In fact, most of the, some of the best ministry stuff that I do in my world comes from places of pain and and stupidity on my part or somebody else's where I went through some stuff and I'm like, yeah, hmm, maybe I could help take this and learn something from it. And then I talk to somebody else and I'm like, wait, wait, before you do that, here's what I've learned. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't want to go back and repeat it, but I wouldn't trade the lessons that I've learned and what I took away. I'm such a better person, and I feel like God is doing something for me and in me. See, when people handle situations well, they emerge from them with a sense of destiny and humility. And that's not natural. I understand that. But I want for you, and I want for me, us to start over and us to start over with, you know, well. Maybe it can be better because you might as well get it right. You know, if you got to start over, you might as well let God redeem, which is to say that you, you that God is going to add value to your past. You have two options: you can have a past that you're ashamed of, that you know you look back and you're like, "Boy, that was stupid," and it never helps anybody, and it never helps you. Or you can have a past that God redeems, that God adds value to, and says, "You know what." I know that's not the best time of your life, but we're going to take this. We're going to use it in the future, and it's going to help you, and it's going to help some other people. Instead of looking back and thinking to yourself, man, what a waste of time and what a waste of life. And here's why this is important. And it, it isn't a bad thing. It's just a thing. When we start off in any new thing, we dream big dreams, right? We, we've got all these big ambitions, and we think, you know, and, and I think this is a kind of a God thing. I think he puts that in us. It's not a bad thing. So, you're about to get married, and you're thinking to yourself, we're going to have the greatest marriage, most passion filled, we're going to get along. And when it comes to kids, we're going to have the smartest, greatest kids, most well behaved. We're going to do so much for them, and we're going to sacrifice for them. We're going to have the perfect family. Everybody will see our family and think, I want a family like your family. Our kids are never going to act up or throw food. Good luck with that. We got big plans. We got big dreams and visions, and, and we're going to jump in and pursue all that, and we should. But the problem is, I, and I don't think there's any way around this, to be honest with you, round one of everything is almost always about us. Right? It's, it's, it, when you pray, this is how we pray. God, help me to make an A. God, help me to find that perfect person for me so we can have a marriage that reflects you. We want to have a little fun too, but we want it to reflect you. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The thing is, in the first round, it's just usually, even if you're a Christian, it's just usually about us and how we pray and how we plan. And then we discover that life's not perfect. There are not perfect marriages. There are no perfect kids. There's not a perfect job. There are no perfect families. And life is just messy. Life's hard. But here's what you discover. That when you're emerging from round one and whatever that is, and that's not to say that that you won't be successful in round one. You know, I'm not saying that everything's a failure. I'm not saying that. Some of you are in your first marriage and it's, it's, it's a... What I love is when people come to me and say, man, Brett, we just celebrated 25 years of marriage. Rock on. I'm proud of you and love you. because, Listen, I know how hard that is. So not everybody is going to fail in, in the first thing, right? Your first marriage does not have to fail. Your first job does not have to fail. Your first time around with kids does not have to fail. When life bumps you out or somebody bumps you out or you bump yourself out, if you will just allow God to do something between round one and round two, if you will just allow God to do something in you before you start over you 'll move into the next phase of the next season of your life with a sense of destiny and some of you are here this morning and you 're really not into the Jesus thing, and some of you have Christian friends, and they you know they use this strange language like they say things like. You know, I just feel like God is leading me. And you're like, that sounds strange. I just feel like God wants me to. And you're thinking, what? I mean, how, who talks like that? And it's like they have this grid through which they see the world, and, and it's like this divine grid. This is what happens when, when men and women allow God to do something. As they start over, there is a sense of divine Destiny. God is up to something, and there is a sense of humility. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to set goals. I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to reach for the stars. But in doing so, I'm going to do it under the canopy of a God who is up to something, and God is going to get all the credit. I'm working hard. I'm more disciplined than I've ever been. I'm going to do all the stuff I need to do. But I don't feel like everything hinges on me. I've already done that before and that didn't work out real good. You've heard the expression work as if it all depends on you and pray as if it all depends on God. At Johnson Bible College where I went to school our our school crest had a circle in it and there were three words in the circle. Faith, prayer, work. And the the, the basic idea was you just work as hard as you can work and you be as humble as you can be and you pray and you have faith as if God got to come through because it's really true if God doesn't come through it ain't gonna work a divine sense of destiny and an abiding sense of humility and you know people like that maybe you're sitting with somebody like that today maybe you are one of those people I want that for you in the midst of your starting over better the next time that's what we want. It can be better the next time than it was last time. So today I want to leave you with one verse of Scripture. We'll do this real quick. Um, we'll be more in our Bibles next week. Um, just this one verse, and it's, it's a, if you're not a church person, you, even if you're not a church person, you've heard this verse. If you are a church person, you've grown up in church, you've heard this passage a lot. Uh, it comes from Paul, who certainly had a big round one. He had an even bigger round two about 14 years later, and having done some things that he was embarrassed of, some things that he would rather have forgotten. It was so embarrassing that it was difficult for him to be around Christians when he had his round two, because all the Christians knew what he had done. He couldn't run away from it, he couldn't hide it, and it was embarrassing, it was public, there was nothing he could do about it. And yet he saw God take all of that and set him up for a beautiful future, a future so big that it changed the world. This guy that had done some really bad things, and he wrote some Christians in Rome, and in Romans eight twenty eight, here's what he says. And we know, in other words, we're confident about this, and we know that in all things, all things is the, the circumstances, all circumstances, that no matter what's happened or what you've done or what's been done to you, Paul's saying, I'm telling you, grace is big. It's bigger than whatever you've done. You think it's bigger than, you know, you think what you've done is big and nobody can overcome it. God can overcome it. God's grace is bigger. We know that in all things, and then check out these two words, God works. God works. Now listen, here's what that means. It means that when you get this right and you're willing to take a big deep breath and maybe you're willing to hit the pause button and slow down, back off a little bit and decide, hey, I've just been through an experience. Doesn't mean I've learned anything. Just because I, I, I know better doesn't mean that I'll do any better. Paul says if you'll allow him God will work through and in every chapter and segment of your life. That weekend that you're trying to forget, that night that you made a decision you wish you could take back, that semester that you totally (laughs) don't want anybody to know about and you're trying your best to live that semester down, you know, you think, I just wish it would go away. I just wish I could start over and that wouldn't be a part of it. Paul says, here's what we know, God works in all things, all things, and here's where we're going for the next three weeks. God wants to use all things, but if you don't allow God to use all things, all things will come back and haunt you. But if you respond in such a way that you allow God to use all those things, all those things will show up into the future and benefit you and benefit the people around you. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to somebody in the midst of counseling and they're pouring out their soul. They've, they've made mistakes, they've gone through stuff, they're crying, and I'm sitting listening to it, and I look at them and I say, listen to me. I know you don't believe me right now, but a day's coming. A year from now, five years from now, 20 years from now, God's going to use you, and God's going to use this, and you're going to help somebody. Brett, there's no way. I just There's no way God can use me and use this. There's just no way. I'm telling you. The people God uses are people with a past. The people God uses are people that have gone through stuff and they've evaluated it and they've said, God, what can I learn? Because I don't want to go through that again and I don't want to do that anymore. Paul continues, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and in this context, it's those that have said, God, I want your way more than my way. Okay? Your will is more important than my will. Paul says, for all those that love God, God works and can use anything and can work through anything and can redeem and bring value to anything of, to those that love God. And here's how he completes this. Who have been called according to his purpose. And so this is big. I've seen this and some of you believe this and some of you don't. Some of you would say, no, if I told my story, Brett, I would be the exception. But I'm just telling you, God can leverage out of anything if you invite him to. He can, he can take anything and give it purpose and meaning and a cause and use it for ministry. Anything if you'll let him. But if you rush, if you move in too fast, if you think you've learned all the lessons and there's nothing else that you need to do to evaluate, you will simply have a second round that looks an awful lot like the first round and you will have possibly learned Nothing. And that there's gonna, not going to be anything that you can leverage, and nothing' of good come from it until you're finally willing to submit and surrender to the God who loves you. This is where we're going to go for the next several weeks. This is the good news: Next time can be better than last time, but not just because you want it to be, but because you're going to plan for it to be. We all want it to be better. But we're going to learn how to plan for it to be better. We're not just going to listen to the myths, you know. The, we're going to get rid of the myths. Just because I've had an experience doesn't mean that I, I'm, I've learned anything. And just because I know better doesn't mean I'm going to do better. And just because I'm in a hurry doesn't mean that I need to be in a hurry. It might look like you're wasting time, but you're not wasting time when you stop down and say, God, teach me. I need, I need, to, I need to evaluate what just happened. I do not want to make these mistakes again. God, speak into me and I'm going to give you the time that it takes to talk to me before I go do this again that's where we're going in the next three weeks now I know we just got into 2017 and I know that some of you are looking at this as a fresh slate and you're starting something over new good for you I'm glad I hope it works out but let's just take a minute or two and let's pray over it okay let's just ask God to help us Uh, father this morning, I, I pray for me. I pray for my friends in this room. I love these people, God. I want, I want to see them have a better second time than first time. Whatever it is, new job, new marriage, new relationship, new chance at class, at school. Kids are getting ready to go back to school, and some of them are getting ready to start college. First semester didn't go good. They're hoping for a better second semester. I pray, Lord, that, that they would stop and evaluate first semester with you. How did it go? What what can I learn? What what did I do wrong? God, speak to me. Father, I pray that all of us would would pause and and understand that time is our friend. And we wouldn't just get in such a big hurry all the time. But we would calm our spirit, calm our soul, get in a quiet place, get our Bible in our lap. Let somebody with a, a hotline to you talk to us a little bit and say, man, help me. Evaluate my experience so that the last time won't be a repeat of next time. So, Father, we we just, we invite you into life, into our space to speak to us and guide us and teach us. You're awesome. We bow in these moments, worship and praise you, give you all glory because it's all due to you. We pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.